0: Welcome to the Shohaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Awesome. So we are about to wrap up our series in the book of Ephesians. We've been going through it for a really long time. We've got this week and next week, and then we're going to wrap up the whole series. And I get to preach on a really fun passage, which I'm so excited about. I am excited about it, but I'm also very nervous. I'm just going to be really honest. I'm preaching on wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love your wives. So I'm going to pray that the Lord will be with us right now as we have this conversation. God, I just thank you so much that you are good, that you designed marriage, you made us as men and women. And God, I thank you that your vision for marriage and your vision for relationships is good. And God, help us to have open hearts. God, help us to find healing where we need healing in this area, to find true understanding where we need true understanding in this area, God. And just help us all to have open hearts to what you would have to say to us this morning and Jesus, please help me to share your message well. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So if you're married, hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. And if you aren't married but want to be married someday, hopefully this will be an encouragement to you as well. And um, one of the reasons that this is a little bit of a hard message to preach on is that I'm sure all of us are aware that in the, the climate in our culture today around gender, marriage, men and women, is very... Tense. there's all words being thrown around like, um, you know, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity. You know, and then it's like the feminism movement, and there's all this stuff going on in our climate. And so, when we have, when we come to a passage like um, Ephesians five that talks about husbands and wives, we really are hearing it through the view of our context and the view of our culture. And there's a lot of hurt that comes in when we talk about topics like this and it brings up a lot of things for people. Um, So I just want to encourage you, if this is a hard thing for you to hear about, please bear with me. Like, please be open that maybe there'll be something that will really, like, touch your heart that um, as we hear about this and you might get new understanding about it. And I think it's important that as a church we have an understanding of what God calls marriage to be and of what how God designed us as men and as women. And so... I think this obviously I'm not being able to address the whole issue in one message, but hopefully it can help us kind of start the conversation because I want to be honest. like I totally acknowledge that this can be a really difficult thing to hear about and think about and talk about in our climate and our culture. So um, as I like go into the message, I have a few like principles that I want to start with, so firstly. The Bible is our authority, not society, not political correctness, not our own experience. We look to the Bible for our authority on what's true. I've only been married nine months. I'm not preaching out of my vast experience as a married person. I'm preaching out of the Word of God and what the Bible says about this. Um, the Bible is always relevant. This isn't something that was outdated, written you know thousands of years ago. The Bible is always relevant. The principles of the Bible are relevant today. God's heart and intentions towards us are always good, even when we can't understand it sometimes, even when it can seem difficult. Um, it, they are always good. That's all, He's a good father. His intentions towards us are always good. And the last thing is that this passage is not about stereotypes. There are men that love hunting. There are women that love hunting. There are men that love flowers. There are women that love flowers. There are men that love... You know, uh, dancing and women that love dancing, and you know, some women love makeup and some women hate makeup, and that's not what we're talking about at all. This—that's not what this is about. This is about the roles that God has given men and women within the context of marriage, and so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about stereotypes of who likes pink. That's not what this discussion is about. So, with all that in mind, I'm going to read the passage. So this is Ephesians, five, verse twenty-one through to thirty-three. So. If you want to read along, you're welcome to. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, And further, so it's relating to what has gone before. They're talking all about how to live by the Spirit's power. So, and further, continuing on in the vein of living by the Spirit's power, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Christ is Jesus. So out of reverence for Jesus. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So I say it again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So, it's the word of God, it's not my words. So in this passage, um, there's two key things that this talks heaps about. So it talks a lot about husbands and wives and it also talks a lot about Christ and the church. And so we'll be looking through the passage about um, th- those two things are really intertwined throughout this passage. And so it's, um, if you consider this part and also Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the relationship between husbands and wives, children and parents, and slaves and masters. And Steve did an awesome job two weeks ago about preaching about parents and children and slaves and masters. And that pattern is in a few other places in the Bible where it talks about, you know, relationship, husbands and wives, children and parents, slaves and masters. Because in the time the Bible was written, that was the key relationships within the family home. There was husbands and wives parents and children and slaves and masters. And so there was in the um, the Roman culture, they had kind of codes on how husbands should behave, how ma- f- parents should behave and how masters should behave. And they were very much focused on the husbands, parents and slaves. And this is really beautiful because when the New Testament writers wrote about it, they spoke to the husbands, but they also spoke to the wives. They spoke to the parents, but they also spoke to the children. They spoke to the masters, but they also spoke to the slaves. And so... Um, this, yeah, this pattern is found other places in the New Testament, but we're looking at the one in Ephesians 6 this morning. And so this kind of household code was like what Paul was doing, is he was looking at it and he was saying, you know, you have your household codes in Rome, but this is the godly household code. This is how a Christian household, or you as a Christian within a household, should conduct your relationships. And so I think the main criticism that, like, People often bring to this passage is they say that this passage can you know can be degrading to women specifically. I mean is that something that you guys have heard or thought about? I'm sure probably, or people even say the Bible as a whole can be really degrading to women. That's something that I've heard a lot. And so I just want to start by kind of addressing that before we dive into it anymore. And so the Bible is radically in support of women, especially when considered in its context. And so, I mean, to say that all of history has been a struggle of men against women, is I think that's completely inaccurate. But I also think it, it is true that women haven't been valued at many times in history and in many cultures. And that was more, much more true when the Bible was written than, than it is today. Um, you know, there was the like women were judged more harshly, women weren't valued, like they weren't actually, they literally were not seen as equals with men, it was seen that men were more important and women were less important. And so the Bible was really written, there was a lot of things in the Bible that were written to really kind of counteract that. And so in creation, in the creation story, um, God says he created men and women both in his image. So the image of God is carried in male and female equally women reveal something about the heart of God in the same way that men do and man and woman stood before God when he gave the mandate to them to rule over the earth. Um, Later on, like in Genesis 2, when it kind of rehashes that story, it says, you know, creation, God created this and it was good, God created this and it was good, God created this and it was good and then it says, you know, man was alone and it was not good and then God sent women and so sometimes people act as though women were like an afterthought. It's like, no, no, God's making a humongous point here. Like, without women, the world wasn't good. And so he sent women into the world, and then it was very good. And so that was a statement in that time that was actually a humongous value to women. It's not like we're some, like, you know, just like a helper, like a doormat. The word helper there is ezer, and it's used of God everywhere else in the Bible. And so it's equal ezer, so the counterpart, the equal helper, um, you know, in the Old Testament history, Esther, Queen Esther is credited with saving her people. It talks about if, a, in, a, in the Old Testament, if a man only has daughters, that the, the daughters should be given possession of the land. It shouldn't just go, go out of the family because no sons were born to that family. So the women were landowners, could be landowners, which was really huge. Um, God chose to send Jesus through a woman's womb. He didn't have to do that. He could have sent Jesus another way, but he chose to do that um, to give that role to Mary. Luke, in particular, in the Gospel of Luke, notes the involvement of women in Jesus' ministry over and over again. They bankrolled his ministry. Um, they were the ones at the cross at the end. They were the very first ones to see Jesus resurrected. Like, they were the very, very first ones to see that and to proclaim the good news, which is so cool. The Samaritan woman was the first evangelist, the first one that Jesus, like, that the Bible records, that Jesus told he was the Messiah to Um, and the, you know the woman caught in adultery. That's one of the funniest stories in the Bible to me. It takes two to tango, but here they go, pull the woman out and say stone her to death. And I'm like, where was the man? But that's exactly you know the inequality that was happening. And Jesus has grace on this woman. She says, you who are without sin, cast of stone. And he has grace on her and gives her dignity in that situation. Women are named as church leaders throughout the New Testament, and um, it says in Galatians, you know, there is now therefore no male or female, save or free. Jew or Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And obviously, that doesn't literally mean we are not men or women anymore, but it means that we are equal before God. We are equal in the eyes of God. And so the Bible, you know, this isn't a comprehensive list or explanation, but the Bible over and over again supports women and lifts up women in often societies where that wasn't the culture And so we have to look at this passage through that lens and through that understanding of the Bible. And I just felt like it was really important to say that because that's something that people might tell you, like, I don't like the Bible. I don't want to become a Christian because of the Bible's view on women or the Christian's view on women. And I just want to encourage you, equip you with some things to have a conviction in yourself that that's not true, that God stated over and over again, the value of men and women equal co-heirs in the mission of God and in the inheritance. Awesome. So at the very start of this passage, it says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it starts out by saying that men and women are to submit to one another. Um, And that's a general principle for Christians, that we actually submit to one another. So it doesn't kind of just go one way. But then throughout the passage, Paul really elaborates that out further. And so I'll read this little bit about um, wives again. It says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husband is the head of the wife, um, sorry, husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And so this is something that I had an issue with. And when Dave and I were dating, we were having a conversation about it. We were like, we were, you know, and we might've been engaged. We knew we were going to get married and we were talking about it. And I was like, well, why should you get to be the boss? Do you think you're better than me? Do you think you're more important than me? Like, why do you get to be the boss? Why, why can't I be the boss? Like, do you think you're more important? Like, why do you get to be the leader? And he's like, Rachel, do you think that you're more important than the people you lead? And I was like, oh, like it was like this huge dagger through the heart moment. It was this huge realization that like, I had actually been seeing leadership as a statement of value and of a statement of importance rather than as a role. Leadership is a role. Leadership is not a statement of value. It is not a statement of importance. And that's something that I think is often very distorted in our culture. Like I'm sure that I'm not the only person that ever thought had that misconception. So when when we come to this passage, and I I think it makes it very clear here, that in the in the marriage relationship that the husband is to be the leader. I find it really hard to interpret this passage any other way. It seems to be very clear, and most scholars agree, that in this passage it talks about the husband being the leader within a marriage context, but that is not a statement of value, and that is not a statement of importance. In this passage it also says, for a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And that same um, sentence is echoed very similarly in 1 Corinthians where there's another one of those family code things that I was talking about with, you know, husbands and wives, parents and kids, slaves and masters. And it says, but there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And if the head of Christ is God, so if the head of Jesus is God the Father, it's clearly not a statement of importance. It's clearly not a statement of value because they're obviously equal. There's not like a hierarchy within the Trinity. Jesus chose to submit to God the Father when he was on earth not because he was less important or less powerful or anything. He chose to take that role while he was on earth so that he could actually carry out the will of God. And so when it says in this passage that the head of, that for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, it's not this like, you know, men are more important and have more authority in all things than women. It's talking about a woman's choice to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. And that term submit is actually a military term. So the word submit is to kind of fall behind. So say there's like a commander. It's to say, I'm going to stand behind you and I'm going to fight with you. It is not a passive term. It's not a term where it's like, oh, I'll do whatever you say. I'm like your little slave or I'm a little puppy dog. It's actually a military term. Like I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to follow your lead and I'm going to fight with you where you go. Even on like a, considering the meaning of the word, submission, I'm going to get under your mission. God's calling in marriage is that he wants strong men and strong women standing together and fighting together. A leader is not more important than the people he leads. A leader without a team, is, that's nothing. That's, that, that isn't helpful to anything or anyone. We need leaders and we need people that serve under leaders and that's how things happen and that's how the mission goes forward. The larger context of Ephesians talks a lot about war. Next week we'll be talking a lot about putting on the armor of God. And so this is talking about going into war together as men and as women, with women standing, like submitting to men means standing behind and fighting behind and fighting with in the battle that we're under. And this isn't under compulsion. Jesus doesn't demand that we submit to him. And that can't be that way in, in marriages. Husbands can't demand submission. And wives shouldn't submit under compulsion, but they should choose to. Understanding the role that God has given um, in marriage. And that picture comes even more stronger when we look at husbands. And just a note, submission does not mean not thinking for yourself or mindlessly obeying everything. It does not mean being okay with being abused or being put down or being neglected. If there is, if that's going on for you, please seek help. Submission does not mean not thinking. Submission is not from a place of weakness or stupidity. It's from a place of strength. And it's a choice. So please don't see submission that way. And yeah, And if you need help, please seek help. This is not an excuse for abuse at all. All right, now, husbands. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And I'll skip to verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now, husbands are called to be like Christ, and that is pretty full on. I mean, we all are as Christians, but within the marriage relationship, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And sometimes we act like that just means that, like, if you had to take a bullet for your wife, you would, which is important and beautiful, but also very unlikely and if that's the only thing you think that God calls you to do you're kind of shortchanging what <laughs> marriage is supposed to be and so how did Christ love Christ sacrificed for the church he laid down his life it wasn't just that he died for the church he actually gave his life to the church and to people he fought for us as the church he pursued us he Cherishes us. He is tender with us. God's love for us is all of these things. It's not like a bare basics love. like here, you have food. What more do you need? He cherishes us and pursues us. He's relational with us. and husbands are called to love their wives in that way. And I think what it says here is very interesting. Your wife is united with you, and you have a responsibility to care. For her just the same way you have to care for your body. So if you walk around and don't shower and you're really stinky and gross and no one wants to be around you and you haven't put on deodorant in ages and you're just gross, that is literally no one else's fault but your own. You are responsible to care for your body, right? And we think we pretty much all understand that. You know, if you're starving and there's like a fridge full of food and you're just like so starving and you don't go get food, that is your fault. You're responsible to care for your body. And, the, and it actually says in here that, um, here, I'll read it out so it's not in my words. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Hang on. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself because, you know, we're one body. But the point is, husbands are actually held responsible. The same responsibility that you have to shower and eat food, you are called to care for, And to love your wives, just as Christ loved the church in that way. And that's a pretty high calling. And so as we put these two images together, husbands loving their wives, sacrificing for them, cherishing them, and having the responsibility to do that, to have that care. And wives submitting from a place of strength, following the leadership of their husbands in an active way, not like a non-thinking passive way and fighting alongside them, we see this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And it's not this relationship of tyrant and servant, but it's a relationship of lover and beloved. Christ and the church is lover and beloved, and that's what God calls in our marriages as well. For husbands, that means that God calls you to be a lover, a pursuer, a protector, one who fights for your wives. And for wives, that God's that means that God calls you to be beloved, to receive that love, and to stand behind the one that loves you and to fight with them. Does that mean that wives should not love their husbands? Absolutely not. That obviously is also important. But in this passage, I think God's calling us to this um, this roles that are really helpful to that within this role is that God blesses marriage. This is how God's called it to be. And so if I could just um, get maybe just the keys up, that would be awesome. Um, I just want to draw out a couple of application points as we wrap up. In this last little bit, it talks about how um, this is an illustration of the way that the Christ and the church are one, and it's talked about that all the way through. And I think that it helps us understand why there can be such an attack on marriage, Most people you talk to will tell you that marriage can be really hard sometimes and it's so blessed and it's so good, but there are things that can be really hard about it. And some of that's just natural, living with another fallen person and all that. But some of it also can be spiritual attack and there's spiritual attack on lots of things. But I think because marriage, and when marriage is done well, it's actually a reflection of God and of who God is and of his relationship with the church. And so um, we actually need to be aware of that and guard against that, that the enemy actually will want to attack marriages. He hates that. He hates it when Christ and the church is represented well. And so we need to make sure that we're aware of that, that we're on guard against that, that we're fighting and standing against the enemy when we need to. And that we are, you know, guarding, like not letting petty things and saltiness and, you know, disagreement and lack of submission, and lack of love get in the way of it because it's actually important. It's bigger than just about your marriage and your family. It's actually a kingdom thing that when we do marriage well, it's it's a, actually a message to the world about what God's like. And people people are watching. You know, when you see marriage done well, it's actually such a beautiful thing. So we need to be aware of how significant that is for us. So one principle, takeaway, is to actually take it seriously, like our marriage or maybe a future marriage for you if you're not married now, to be praying and to be... Um, Praying for your marriage, protecting your marriage, fighting for it, because the enemy will want to take it out. And then the last little sentence in this says So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And I don't have time to go into that too much, but that principle of husbands loving wives and of wives respecting husbands is something that even like secular, modern uh, social researchers have kind of identified in the past little while that within relationships, why uh, women really desire to be cherished and men really desire to be respected. And does that mean that women shouldn't cherish husbands and husbands shouldn't respect wives? Absolutely not. We totally should do that. But primarily it seems for a lot of women that the desire to be really cherished is very primary for them. And for men, the desire to be really respected and honored is very primary for them. Not all its a generalization, but for, for a lot. And the Bible said this 2,000 years ago. And you know, modern sociology is just really kind of catching up with that now. Um, and it's yeah, it's a talking about our heart desires, and so as we look at application for that, application for love. So fight for your wife, pursue her. And when Dave, like we weren't dating, but Dave asked me out for coffee every week for six months, and I said no every week for six months, and he still asked me, <laughs> and I felt I felt very loved, I felt very pursued and very fought for, and he eventually won, won me over and won and one me but um you know and it's like we do that when we're dating but then when you get married like you've got them but it's you know continuing to fight and pursue even when you're already married and what will make your wife feel loved only you know that or should know that so if you don't know find out (laughs) you know look at love languages if that's something that you if that might be helpful to you um But God's love for us isn't just basic. It's not just like, here, you have food. What more do you need? But he's tender with us. You know, God would be okay to spend $20 on flowers, even if you think it's stupid, because it actually means something to your wife. I mean, if you can't afford to buy flowers, steal them out of someone's front garden. I have lots of red daisies. You can come take mine at the moment, you know, or or write a note, or if your wife doesn't like flowers, don't buy flowers. But, you know, write a note, whatever it is that makes her feel loved. Often women, I think, feel very unseen, in what they do and in the way they serve. And so to, to acknowledge her or even to acknowledge her publicly, I mean, a social media posts, I know it's a new thing, but I think for a lot of, if your wife would hate it, don't do it, but if you think your life would really be honored by a post saying how much you love her, consider that, that that's often seems very loving to women and respect for women, I think we need to be very careful because we live in a society where male bashing is very acceptable where it's very acceptable to mock men, to look down on them, to think that they're stupid because, you know, with the feminism movement and other things, we're trying to correct the past and it's like we are overcompensating and we're putting men down and we're calling masculinity toxic and it's so wrong. God, we need strong men. We need strong, capable, courageous men. And so we as women, I, I think, need to be so careful that we are not mocking men, we are not putting them down, that we are actually being respectful in our hearts and in our words towards the men in our lives, not just husbands. We need to not fall in with culture and society in this area. And so there was, I read this um, book, I read heaps of books before getting married because I was like, I want to get this right. And one of them was talking about this idea of respect and it, they did this survey and in the survey, They asked men if there was a certain movie, like a movie scene or any, like a story that really touched their hearts. And the one that uh, several men wrote about, I don't know what movie it is, I don't watch baseball movies, but it was a baseball movie about this guy and he was like this baseball star and then all of a sudden he was like a big fail and he was making a comeback and in the middle of his comeback he just hit this huge slump and he's at the thing and he's struck out once and he struck out again and he's standing there and if he strikes out again, it's kind of like his career's over. And in the stands, he sees this person stand up like in the audience and it was his, I think it was like his ex-girlfriend or something, but she stood, she stood and she stood and said, and it was kind of like this gesture of, I support you, I'm with you. And he, you know, he hit the strike and his thing was back on track and a lot of men identified that, movie scene as being so moving for them because she stood with him. She didn't come down and say, here's how to do the bad and here's how to blah, blah, blah. She stood and said, I'm with you. I support you. You can do it. I believe in you. And, you know, as women, I think we really expect that men will learn how to love us, which is true and good. And, you know, I totally am all about the flowers and social media posts, but I think we often neglect the fact that we need to learn the nuances of respect as well. And so, this can look like honoring their decisions and not questioning, you know, every single thing they do and actually deferring to them in decisions. It can look like letting them drive around and not ask for directions and be okay with wasting $1 of petrol to make them feel respected and like you trusted that they could get there, you know. Or if, they, if the toilet's broken and they really want to fix it, And have a go at it, even though they've never fixed a toilet before, being like, you know what, I trust you, have a go at it, you know, instead of being like, oh, you're so stupid, I'm calling the plumber, actually saying, no, I respect you, I'll give you, you can go for it. I did that, and Dave fixed it, it was great, so, and not mocking, not mocking is so important, we need, and speaking well of men to others, speaking well, and telling others that we trust them, and I'm just about to wrap up, but, the last last thing I really feel too important to, before I wrap up is to talk about the concept of leadership. And within marriage, because we talked about that, men being the leaders in marriage, but what does that actually look like in practice? <sighs> decisions are made together. I don't think it's ever God's will that the man or the women just makes all the decisions in the family. And often, Dave and I, work, what we'll do is we'll wait on God. We'll be like, okay, God, we got to make this decision. What do you think? And we'll just wait in silence before God we we'll are like, all right, what did you get? What did you get? And we'll just keep praying and we wait until we really get unity about things before we make a decision. And obviously that's not always possible. But, um, you know, if your husband or wife isn't a Christian or maybe you don't have time to sit there and pray and wait on God or maybe you still have disagreement. Um, But when you can, have unity. Like I think we need to be making decisions together as a family. But the sense of leadership means that at the end of the day, I think it means that the men wear the weight of that decision and that they're the deal breaker if there is that disagreement. Many, many marriages have worked it out that way. And I I really, I feel like that is what this passage is saying. I could be wrong, but I, I could really feel like that's what it is. And in the same way that like, you know, Dave and I are the leaders at youth. And so we make decisions with our team and we talk to them. And if they didn't have input and weren't leading up and just kind of like mindless sheep, Sheep are so stupid. We have pet sheep now. They are so stupid, but they're very cute. Anyway, our leadership team is not like that. That's not what we want. We want them to lead and to contribute and to challenge us 100%. But at the end of the day, we have to wear the weight of the decision. If the decision's a big old massive fail, we have to wear the weight of that. We wouldn't be like, oh, Ethan made us do it. Like, that's not how it works. We wear the weight of it because we are the leaders in that situation. And so I think that that's the same, that the weight of the decision falls on the leader. And I think that that's how it works in marriage as well. And if if there is a deal, but if we can't come to decision as a team, you can't stay in that place of indecision. You have to move forward. You can't just stay in like a headlock. And so we, Dave and I as the leaders, we'll be like, okay, no, this is the way we're going. We're doing it as leaders. We have to do that. And so even though that can really gall sometimes as women to be like, duh, I really feel like we should do this, but we're doing this. It actually says that when we submit to our husbands, we are submitting to the Lord, and God sees that. He sees our heart. He actually honors that when we submit, even when it's hard for us. It actually is the right thing. It's actually submission to God, and He sees that as really beautiful. And so, that's all I had to share. I know we're a little over time, so I'm just going to pray and wrap up. You know, often we react out of hurt in marriages, but women who are loved well become more lovable, and men who are respected so often become more respectable. We actually can change people through how... Not not that it's our job to change our husbands and wives, but it actually does change us. When we're loved well, it changes us. When we're respected well, it changes us. And so I'm just going to pray that God will help us to receive and that he'll help us to hear this for our situation and how he wants... It to touch us and our lives and our relationships for where we're at. So if you could pray with me, that would be awesome. God, we thank you so much for your word and we stand on the authority of your word in this, God. And please reveal to each of us now your what we need to know this week about, you know, men and women and husbands and wives. God help us to, to take away what we need to take away from this, God. Help each of us to have a peace and a confidence in our lives and our hearts and our marriages about how you've set marriage up to be. And God, for those who aren't yet married, I pray that you'll help them to find awesome, if they want to be married, God, you help them to find awesome husbands and awesome wives, awesome people for them to be in relationship with that they can fight together for you. And God, for those of us who are in marriage, we know that there's a war against that. And so we ask for your protection, God. Help us to fight together well. Help us to be on mission together well for you, God. And we thank you for your beautiful pursuit of us as your church. You are the perfect husband and you pursue us so well. And we love you. Thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much.